If you've got a Bible, I would love it if you could turn to John 13. John 13. I know that when Julia was baptized, I think it was two weeks ago, she referred to a a concept called the bucket list. And I guess it just got me thinking. Uh, It's a film. Some of you might have seen the film, but it's all based upon the concept, which is, I guess, a little bit morbid that death is sometimes referred to as kicking the bucket. And it's almost like, what do you get into the bucket before you die? I would want to ask you this question. If you knew you were going to die in one week's time, what would you do? Now, I've had a chance to think about this this week. So I suddenly thought, if I knew that I was going to die in a week's time, I would forget the diet. You know what I'm saying? You think, it doesn't matter how many sweets you eat, because I'm not going to see the dentist. It doesn't matter how much food and chocolate I consume because I've just got a week to go. You know, I thought if I had a week to go, I would hire Ferrari and not worry about speeding tickets. Because by the time they came to me in the post, I wouldn't have to answer them. You know, I, I think if I was really honest, I might just think, I'll take my family on a safari for a week, stick it on the credit card because I'd never have to pay the bill. Now, I know that that can be quite a, a, um, a, a sensitive thing to even talk about, I guess what it reveals in me is that I would probably do anything that I personally want in a week. And, and you might not have had a chance to think about it, but I think that makes the life of Jesus so radically different. You see, what we're going to read about in John 13 is literally a week before Jesus knows that he's going to die. It's not a surprise. The, the cross wasn't a mistake. So he knows, look, I've got about a week of life to go. So what does he do? John 13, I'm going to read 20 verses, so from verse 1 down to verse 20. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who said, bath does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that is why he said not all of you are clean when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what I've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so I am I mean, that word, you know, it's almost like I'm God. You know, he was saying this. I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I'm chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you've spoken to us as we've come and sung and worshipped you. We believe now that your word is relevant for us. Some of us have heard this story many times, and some of us we think, golly, that just seems bizarre. I pray that we'll all hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus has got one week to go. One week to go, and he decides to do this washing his disciples' feet. Feet washing is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Some of you are probably even cringing when I start talking about feet. I'll be honest, I am. About three weeks ago, Josh and I uh, were trying to get to Wembley Football Stadium to go and watch England play. And unfortunately, we got stuck on the bus. And, uh, you know, it's a huge thing. And I said, oh, we're never going to get there on time. And Josh said, don't worry, Dad. We only live 5.9 miles from Wembley. We can run it. So Josh and I get off the bus and start jogging to Wembley. I've got these boots on. Josh has got some plimsoll things on. I still have a blood blister on my big toe. So you start thinking about feet, and I think, oh, God, I don't want to take my socks off in front of anyone. It's, it's sort of a, a nasty thing. Let's be frank. Some of you have got athletes' feet, and you've got things growing under your toenails that have not yet been discovered by science. Feet is not a thing that we often think of as an exciting, romantic thing. What motivated Jesus to touch these feet? What motivated him? Well, I think it tells us in verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was motivated by love. The fact is that at the start and at the finish, he was still going in love towards his disciples. Think about this. I don't know how well you know the disciples. Some of them messed up often. I mean, one of them, in fact, several of them, didn't understand a parable and said, what's this mean? He said, are you so dull? We had another time where they're arguing about who's going to sit on his right and his left. That wasn't just about the chairs. That's who's your, you know, your right in command, who's second, who's next to you. We know that another time they weren't able to cast out a demon and Jesus had to finish the job off. We know another time they lacked faith and Jesus calmed the storm. We know another time they end up sleeping when they should be praying. We know another time they tell kids to clear off when Jesus says, no, come to me. We know another time one of them even rebukes Jesus and he says, get behind me. The fact is, Jesus still loved his disciples right at the end. And I want to tell you this, Jesus loves you. I think it's come through clear this morning. I don't know if he's just trying to get a message to someone here and we think, the fact is, you might think, oh, Pete, you just don't know my attitude. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've thought. I've scrubbed up to look my best on a Sunday. What I want to look you in the eye and tell you is Jesus loves you. 
doesn't matter if you're in the back row or in the front row. It doesn't matter if you come here before or it's your first time. I think that we can clearly say, Jesus loves you. William Barclay, he was a commentator. I read several books this week to try and understand this. said this, Few incidents in the gospel so reveal the character of Jesus and so perfectly show his love for us as this story. Are you aware that Jesus loves you? You might say, Pete, I've had a bad month. I've had a bad start to 2013. Jesus loves you. When I was at Sunday school, we used to sing a song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we can think, oh, that's kids. It doesn't matter if you're 80 or if you're 8. Jesus loves you. Some of you, you're not excited enough about it, so I'm just going to say it again. Jesus loves you. I'll give you a little clue with preachers. The more you smile and nod and lean towards them, they realize you've got the point and they move on. There you go. You see, I really think, right, they've got that one. I can go on. Jesus loves you. The danger is we live in a society that loves us if we did well in our last meeting. The boss thinks, oh, well, you did really well last week. I love you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you, you hit the sales target. Jesus loves you. I think even when I just look at this, and, and you know, we're just going to be looking at it this morning, there's such a difference between the Father's heart and the devil's. You see, Judas, we know that the devil has got in and whispered, and what does the devil say? Kill him. And what does Jesus say? I love you. You see, I believe that we live in a, a, a world where there's a devil that schemes to spoil and there's a God who chooses to bless. And sometimes we forget that. But actually, we've got to come and recognize that Jesus was motivated by love. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Ephesians, writes this. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We're to know it. It's, it's not just meant to be head knowledge. It's meant to be our experience. What was the song? Jesus loves me, this I know. I really know it deep down. Real love sticks over time. Real love sticks even when it is costly. Jesus has real love for you. Okay, a little bit of uh, involvement this morning. I'd like you to make a, a circle like this. And I'd like you to stick it on your chin. Yeah, most of you have put it on your cheek. I said your chin. You see, we understand more what we see rather than what we hear. And Jesus demonstrates his love for you. He was prepared to wash the feet. You see what I'm saying? He, he, you've got to remember that when this was written, only about 10 to 15% of Romans at the time would have read, but they'd have seen actions. They'd have understood stories. This is a clear picture, I believe, of his love for us. It's not just some words out there. He was demonstrating it. He was getting down. He was going to wash. He wants you to know. I believe he'd want you to know today. He loves you that much. So, foot washing. That's my introduction. Motivated by example. Now I think there are, there are two things motivated by love that we're going to look at from this passage. The first is foot washing an example. Second one is foot washing a symbol. Foot washing an example. Let's just try and unpack this one slightly. 
We know that, that Jesus lived in a, a hot climate. We know that actually this was the lowest of the low. Basically, and I don't want to get myself into trouble here, it was a dusty road. You walked on it. It wasn't nice tarmac, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like the nice stones they've stuck outside Ealing Town Hall that make it look pretty. I mean, you just walked along dusty roads. You basically had sandals on, which would have a few straps holding them to your feet. You were covered in dust and dirt. Pooper scoops had not been invented. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just dirt, but I'm not going there this morning. So when you turned up at a house, somebody's job was to wash your feet. Somebody's job. In fact, there was a a, a custom that if you were a Jew, you were not even, as a Jewish slave, made to wash somebody's feet. Because it's almost like, no, that would be too degrading for a Jewish slave. Ideally... We want a non-Jew called a Gentile. And so they used to have Gentiles that will be there to wash the feet. The lowest of the low. Let's be really frank. We don't have people do that now. What do we have? Doormats. So you go to somebody's house, they don't wash your feet, but they've got a doormat there. So what you're really thinking is, well, I'll get the dirt off and I'll go on in. This job was like doormat. I mean, this is really the picture I think that we've got there. This is what Jesus does. Think about it. We know that the meal was just about to start. They didn't have chairs and tables. We think they sat in a U kind of shape right around the floor. We think they basically laid on the floor, rested on an arm. They'd have their feet to one side. The disciples are all there. They're all laying there. They must have realized, hang on, we've all walked in the room and we've not got up and offered to wash someone's feet. You know, they must have sort of thought, oh, feet stink a bit. Golly, look what you've got between your toes. You know what I'm saying? But nobody was prepared to do it. The disciples probably thought, I'm I'm not going to get my hands dirty. Hey, why should I do it? I'm one of Jesus' inner three. Maybe, now, come on, I'm in in charge. I'm the disciple that spends the money. I'm not going to do it. Actually, I'll be all right. I'm just self-sufficient. We can be like that. In fact, Luke tells us, and I've read from the Gospel of John, there's four Gospels, four accounts. Luke tells us that just before this event, what had actually happened is the disciples had had an argument. I don't know about you, we like to hide these things. The Bible doesn't. You know, if you're married here, you know what it is to have a discussion, shall we say, behind closed doors. But you open the door and you just put a smile on. The disciples had had a discussion on the way. It tells us about it in Luke 22, verse 24 to 27. And basically, they were saying, who's the greatest? So before this meal had happened, they'd been going, who's the greatest? You know, and, and they'd got so caught up in how important they were that they were then prepared to sit at this meal and think, no one's washed their feet. But we've just been discussing. It's about the greatest, not the lowest. I think there is a danger for us that we can get caught up in what I would call photo-Christianity. Take a picture of me doing well to put on my Christian Facebook that says, there I am serving, there I am preaching. Oh, I did the kids, but there I am looking. I've even got the lanyard to prove that I've served well. No, we mustn't be those that try and make ourselves look good. Jesus talks about almost a doormat Christianity, about stepping down. 
getting involved. Do you know there was a, a wife in Jewish times that went to court because her husband would not allow her to wash his feet. He said, it's too degrading. She said, it's my sign of honor. If you know the Old Testament, you know that when David found a wife called Abigail, she said in 1 Samuel 24, I would willingly wash my master's feet. See, people used to do it as a sign of honor. So occasionally, a wife would do it for a husband. Some of you, that's the only thing you're going to take away from this meeting. I'm not going there. Some of you, as a parent, their kids used to do it. It was a sign of honor. In fact, in the society as well, very occasionally, and, and I would like you all to take this one, the pupils would wash the teacher's feet. And it was a sign of honor. So yeah, I'll be at the back, and if anybody wants to put this into practice, you can do You see, it was an honor thing. You lift somebody else up by often putting yourself down. Jesus was prepared to do that. He set an example for it. I think so often we live in a world where actually we don't think like that. One commentator called this an acted parable. An acted parable. So rather than Jesus telling the parable, he acted it out. It was his, and, and now I know the question will become, and I've joked about it, oh, will it be at the back? So are we going to do feet washing? Is this something that's part of Redeemer? Are you, you know, we break bread because Jesus broke bread and gave it to people. We baptize, you know, are we going to do that? Now, I wonder this year whether maybe we should. Because uh, some of you that would know, the, the Pope often does it on Monday, Thursday. And if they don't elect a new Pope quick, it's not going to happen. Now, some churches would wash feet. And so you can say, oh, actually, is it a, a, a practice that we should be, be bringing into the church? Well, I think biblically we only know of it happening or referred to in one other occasion, and that's 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, where it talks about a widow, an older woman. She was a woman of good repute because she washed the saints' feet. But I don't think it was necessarily something that needs to be done in acted. You see, what I feel more is it is a humility of the heart than an action. Now, if you feel in your small groups this week you'd like to wash one another's feet, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not saying we don't do it. But what I am saying is it's, it's really about voluntary humility. I speak to myself, I really do, before I speak to any of you. I think one of the real dangers is that we get caught up in pride. And I think by doing this, we're humbling ourselves. Now, the danger is that some of us can be so humble, proud that we're being humble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so if we wash feet, <laughs> well, I wash four people's feet. You know, and you think, man alive, it's, it's not about the action, it's about the heart. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, likewise, you who are young, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe that Jesus was setting an example that actually if we're followers of him, we're to be humble. I think he was setting an example because he even says, doesn't he, come on, don't just be those that hear, be those that do. This was something that James picked up. James 2, verse 14 to 17. says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, 
if it does not have works, is dead. I think that what he's saying is he's setting us an example. How can we serve one another? What could we possibly do to help one another, to bless one another? And often that means putting ourselves down. It means putting ourselves out. I sometimes think that. Let's be really honest. It means offering somebody a lift home. And you think, well, I'm not going that way, but I could go that way. I think sometimes it means, you know, if you're a, a husband, what, what can I possibly do to bless my wife? You see, in Christian marriage, we, we should have good marriages because actually we're, we're trying to think something of humility. You should really be able to tell a good Christian marriage because neither of them walk through the door because they keep saying, after you, no, after you, no, after you. Now, obviously, that would be a little bit excessive, but there should be that kind of approach that almost says it's something about humility, not me first. I think this attitude of humility should affect our kids. It's not all about what do I want. It's not I'm the biggest, I've got the remote control, I'm in charge. It's almost thinking, well, what about you? What could I possibly do for you? How could I hear what you'd like? How could I understand your way? Let's be really frank. I mean, it's, it's even like at the bus stop. Then they, would you like to get on the bus first? Rather than, God, it's me. There's something in our heart, surely, that should be about humility. Surely we do not need a lady to wear a, a badge that says baby on board just to offer our seat on the tube, do we? Because if we're really humble, it's not about, oh, golly, I've paid for this and I'm tired and I'm getting to work. I'm having a seat. I'm reading my paper. I'm pretending you're not there. No, true humility surely would be, actually, what about you and your needs? Could I help you? Could I serve you? J.C. Ryle, he's another commentator that I read, says this, if the only begotten Son of God king of kings did not think it beneath him to do the humblest work of a servant there is nothing that his disciples should not think themselves too great or too good to do you see jesus set us this example and i think you know if i wanted to understand this what i don't want to suddenly do is start a ritual going that just says maundy thursday you're washed what i want is us to say here's an example I can embarrass them because they're not here at the moment, but we were praying beforehand. And John and Nairi that I know on the crèche for the first time this week, I can't believe it. I'm so excited about the crèche. I'm on crèche today. You know, I was like, well, I've done crèche before. And I think, man, you won't be saying that after about the third time. You know what I'm saying? When they just cry for 40 minutes, you'd be thinking, take them. But I think, what a, what a wonderful way to serve, isn't it? I think, what a heart. I think I love that. I love that, you know, the fact that Rekha and Yvonne, they're out there setting up all the refreshments for us. It's a heart to serve. I love that. You know, I can pick on people today because I can see them there. I know Jenny's coming in and serving on the PA. I know that uh, Kathy's helping Josh out with the words. You know, I know that Nikki and so I think, isn't it great? I think surely what I would love is that there's a church that, that, that the people in charge of these teams said, do you know what, Pete, I'm really struggling because so many people want to serve on my team. Some of them, they have to wait three or four months to have a go now just to be on the welcome. Some of us went out for a kebab this, this week. 
And I thought it was lovely because you know what it's like often when the bill comes and you try and split it up and pick up, oh, and everyone put in another 10p. Oh, I've miscounted. Everyone put in another pound. You know, Mark, who was sorting out the bill, said, oh, I think I've got too much money. And I thought, it should be like that with Christians. We'd all think, yeah, I'll chip in. Not let's be tight, let's be generous. I think we should be like that with serving. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, come on. Right, hands up. I'm sending a board right right now. I need another three until I see that hand and I see it in Jesus' name. Come on. Who's going to serve? I need somebody else on refreshments. Just one more. You know what I'm saying? It should be, look, I'm really sorry. If you want to serve in this church, you've got to form a queue. And, and yeah, we'd love you to serve, but it may take a little while until we can squeeze you into one of our rotors. Why is that? Because Jesus set us an example. Jesus set us an example. Paul writes to the church, doesn't he, in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not equality Count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. You see, for these disciples, it would have been shocking. I told you of all the examples where you might foot wash. A rabbi never washed the feet of his disciples. Because you learn from me. I mean, this was just unbelievable. That's the example that Jesus set. Now you could say, good sermon, Pete. Okay, I realize I've got to do a bit more serving. I would say that if we take that away, we've only seen even half of the passage. And I've gone through my time, so I'm going to do the second half much quicker. Feet washing is symbolic of more. It is symbolic of so much more. You see, the reality was a rabbi would never wash your feet. I mean, that would be absolutely mind-blowing. Jesus didn't say, I've come to wash your feet. He actually said, I've come to die for you. You see, I think that when it starts going on about Peter going about, don't wash me, what we're really understanding is something of the cross was seen by the feet washing. Why do I say this? Well, right at the beginning of John, when John the Baptist spots him, he, he says to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came with that sense of purpose and mission to deal with all our sin. Matthew says the same, doesn't he? You call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because he saved his people from their sin. And so there was almost this thing that Jesus is coming to save his people from his sin. If you read John and you read the whole gospel, you realize that John 13 is the halfway point. It's the hinge. Before that, in the first 12 chapters, it's been Jesus talking to anyone that's interested. After John 13, it is Jesus talking to his disciples in the last week. And there's this sort of turnaround. It says, doesn't it, about his hours come, about the feast has arrived, about loving to the end, because he realized he was right at the end of his ministry. And what was the end of his ministry about? It was about dying for us. You see, foot washing is not a way of cleansing. It is a symbol of cleansing. The full extent of his love was not that he would wash their feet, but that he would die for them. 
Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, dirty, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus was really demonstrating. This is what this, this foot washing was really about. It's actually, guys, I'm prepared to clean you. How do I clean you? I die in your place. I am the, the sacrificial lamb that they would have understood. Don't forget, this was the Passover. Yet the Passover, when they killed a lamb that was to die in their place, Jesus is washing their feet and saying, I will clean you. Hey, it's often been about a lamb being slaughtered. I will be that lamb. I will clean you. Now, we could talk a lot more about that. I just think there's a couple of warnings that I want to bring. Warning number one, Judas. Because Jesus says, hey, he washed everyone's feet. I think the passage makes that clear. He would have washed Judas's feet. But he then says, not everyone here is clean. What does that warn me? It warns me this, ritual is not enough. Our danger is that we think, oh, if I turn up at church or I put some money in the pot, that's enough. Ritual is not enough. It's relationship with him. It's knowing that he's personally forgiven us. That is what it's all about. It's personally saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please, will you wash me? That is different to ritual. Otherwise, you can be born in a Christian family and go to church every week and think, oh, I've done my ritual. No, this is about relationship. So I think one of the things that some people stay dirty is because they end up becoming ritualistic toward God. I've read my Bible, but I've never thought about God. I've, I've sort of prayed about my needs, but I've never listened to God. We mustn't become ritualistic. We must become those that relate to him. Warning number one. Warning number two, pride gets in the way. Peter says, you don't wash me. And I think people say, I don't need God. You might be even here today and say, God, why are you guys singing all that? I don't need God. I'm a good person. I try my best. I do my hardest. Hey, I give to charity when I can. Comic relief, you know what I'm saying? I'm cycling 25 miles up Box Hill. I'm a good guy. Or you can say, no, actually, I humbly recognize my need of you. And even for many of us, are we proud or will we let Jesus wash us? Do we think I can come to church and make my own way to God or do we recognize our need of him? For me, it was the 12th of June, 1977. I'd been to a, a meeting in a big tent in a marquee with this guy called Dick Saunders who preached. A bit like Billy Graham, but much smaller, you know, for Sussex. At the end, they had a choir that sung, and they swayed all like this. I'm sure it's godly when you sway. You know what I'm saying? We all do it. They start singing this hymn, Just as I am, I come to thee. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And thou bids me to come, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. That for me, I would say, is when I become a Christian. Not because I could do anything for God, because I tried to make it, because I suddenly realized he'd done it all for me. Foot washing is symbolic that he wants to clean you. Are you too proud? Or are you caught in ritual? Or will you let him wash your feet? That is my question to you.
And I think then that if he has washed our feet, that would then affect the whole way that we would live. You see what I'm saying? We will copy the example when we've realized that he's washed us. John Piper, some of you would have heard of him. He's a, a great teacher from the state, says this, Christians of high standing should, not, should give themselves gladly to lowly serving or be the kind of people who gladly go low. Pastors, go low. Elders, that's church leaders, go low. Heads of households, go low. Small group leaders, go low. Presidents of companies, supervisors, managers, go low. Mum and dad, go low. Big brothers and sisters, go low. A students, go low. Good athletes, go low. Pretty teenage girls, go low to serve. Christians, go low to represent your saviour, to know his joy, and because you are completely clean. This foot washing is not something that I just want to say, okay, I've got a towel and I've done something. I want it to be an understanding. It's an example to us, and it's, it's literally pointing forward to the fact that he has cleaned us. And because he has cleansed us, that will make a difference in the way that we're going to live. I know the band are going to lead us and we're going to respond to this. I do want to ask a couple of questions. Do you know that Jesus has cleaned you? Are you aware that he's cleaned you? Or are you still in your pride thinking, no, I'm okay? Do you let Jesus clean you or do you think, no, actually the ritual is enough? Do you think you really know him? And then for some of us, I say, no, actually, Jesus has cleaned me. I want to ask, are you copying his example? Are you one that says, actually, no, this has impacted the way I live. The way I, I, I'm a boss at work is impacted. I can be humble at work just as I could be humble in church. I could be humble at school. We want to be those, don't we, that this is not just something, and I'm thinking now about the, the week leading up to Easter, I'm going to be preaching next week. I won't be, but then I've got three others leading all up to Easter and what happened. But I want this to impact my whole year, my whole life. What about you? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you came and that you served. I want to thank you that you are humble. I want to thank you that you, you came literally the doormat. And we can so often disregard that. We don't. We say thank you for your example. Thank you for the, the way that you serve. I pray that we'll let you clean us. I pray for any here that do not know you, that they come and say, Jesus, clean me. And I pray for us that do know you, that we'll be those who say, okay, this is now my example. My life will be different. My Monday to Friday will be different. It's not about me pushing my agenda or driving or making other people serve me. In humility, I want to serve others. Amen.